What do you do when you feel like you're at a breaking point? Where do you go uh, mentally, emotionally, relationally? What do you do when your family feels like it's at a breaking point? You're not sure how to move forward. You're not really, you don't really like where you're at, but you're, you feel like you're about to break. What do you do? Where do you go? How do you respond? Um, last week, um, Nikki um, took us to part two of the Far From Perfect family. This is part three. Um, and I just want to uh, say thanks to Nikki for um, preaching while she was pregnant and cold and removing any excuse I ever have to not preach when I'm not feeling well. <laughs> I'd never, I'd never get an excuse again, right? But no, she did a great job. Um, this week, we're going to take the next step with our main character. Our main character is Jacob, right? And, and we find his story. We find the, fam, the, the story of his family in the first book of the Bible, um, Genesis, which means this is one of the very first narratives of a family from the very, very beginning of Scripture. And av- as we've noticed, this is not a perfect family, and yet it is the family through which God uses to bring about Jesus. They are the far from perfect family. And just to review a little bit, I want to just kind of think about what Jacob's faced so far, right? He had a massive falling out with his family of origin. Um, the, the, the place we're picking up today, he hasn't seen his parents for years, hasn't talked to them for probably close to 20 years. Um, he has constant conflict with his father-in-law. Keep your elbows in, right? No poking your, your right? He, he um, uh, marries uh, the one woman that he really, really loves. He's tricked into marrying her sister. He um, has this, last but not least, has, as, as we're going to see today, this reunion with his twin brother <laughs> that he ripped off 20 years ago and wanted to kill him. This is a far from perfect family. I don't think it's too much of a stretch to say Jacob is at a breaking point. And as um, anybody can um, attest to and, and speak to, anybody at a breaking point can see that it's also an opportunity to see, to know, and to trust God in a way that you've never seen, known, or trusted God before. This is where Jacob is. We haven't seen Jacob submit to or call in or trust on the name of the Lord yet. He's still grandpa's God. He's still dad's God. But he's, he's not my God yet. He's not Jacob's personal God yet. But it's through all of these family issues, through this conflict, through this stress, through this mess, through this brokenness, where even today our natural normal response is get me out of this and get me out of it yesterday. We want to be done with it. It's a place that we we try and pray ourselves out of. Even in those places, even in those seasons, even in that mess is a space where God can reveal himself to us in ways that he can't in any other way. And that's exactly, it's exactly what Jacob experiences. He has an, he has an encounter with God in that place. So we're just going to walk with Jacob 
through this encounter. It, it starts, we're going to start with his relationship with his father-in-law, and we'll call him his embittered father-in-law. Um, Genesis 31 is where we're going to be if you want to follow along. Um, at this point, Jacob has been working for Laban, his father-in-law slash uncle, for about 20 years when we read this. Jacob heard that Laban's sons, these would be his brothers-in-law, were saying, Jacob has taken everything our father owned and has gained all this wealth from what belonged to our father. Now you have to read a little bit what's happening before this to get a little bit of context for this. But Jacob has worked for his uncle for seven years so he can marry Rachel, Laban's daughter, which would be Jacob's cousin. Now this would, this would be a perfect spot for someone with less tact to make a regional joke about marrying your cousin. But I will pass. I am not saying anything about Arkansas. Nikki covered, <laughs> Nikki covered this last week, right? Jacob um, worked for seven years so he could marry Rachel. Wedding night comes. Laban switches the daughters, so he actually ends up marrying Leah, the older daughter. She's heavily veiled. It's dark. There's no electricity. There's probably a lot of wine involved, and Jacob wakes up the next morning next to the wrong girl. Laban says, I'll, I'll, I'll let you marry Rachel, but you have to work seven more years. So he works 14 years in total and walks away with two sister wives. But then Laban says, you can't leave. I know you've paid off your debt for my daughters, but just name your wages and I'll give you a job, which sets off this fiasco of renegotiation after renegotiation after renegotiation, okay? I want to give you a kind of a modern day parable for how this might um, have worked. So I want you to imagine that um, a group of brothers runs a family business with their dad. They have a sister she gets married, and they allow the brother-in-law to come and become a part of the family business. And as they're negotiating his salary, he says, I'll pass on a salary. But because we're a manufacturing company, tell me the lowest performing product that we make. And, and they point out the one that hasn't done well. It's kind of anemic. And he says, okay, in lieu of a salary, I'll take my commission off the sale of that. He says, Okay. Not the greatest business idea. Hope our sister eats, but it's good for us, so we'll go with it. But over a short period of time, that product goes crazy on Amazon. It's the, it's the best selling product they make. Well, the brother-in-laws come to him and say, we need to renegotiate. And he says, okay, what's the lowest performing product today? Give me my commission off of that one. Same thing skyrockets on Amazon. This happens over and over and over again, five, six, seven years. All of a sudden, 80 to 90% of the company revenue belongs to the brother-in-law. What is Thanksgiving like around that family? <laughs> right? It's not good. It's not good. That is what's happening, or that's what's happened before Genesis 31. Jacob overhears his brother-in-law's plotting. Do you notice anything about this family? Jacob's mom plots. Laban plots. Laban's kids plot. <laughs> and, and if the past is the greatest indicator of what's going to happen in the future, it's time for Jacob to leave. And God confirms this. Look at verse 3. Then the Lord said to Jacob, 
Go back to the land of your fathers and to your relatives, and watch this, I will be with you. Why is that important? Well, again, it's still grandpa's God. It's still dad's God, but I will be with you. Why does God tell Jacob, I'll be with you? Because movement is scary. Movement is scary. He's got to find a way to detach himself from his father-in-law. He's got to go face his murderous brother that he ripped off 20 years later. This is scary, and this is how we get stuck. This is how we get stuck. Sometimes we find our place in a, in, in a cell, or ourselves in a place where it's just awful. And it could be a family thing. It could be a job thing. It could be a health thing. But we get stuck there because we don't know what's over the horizon. And we would just rather stay in the stuckness because we know it. And, and the Lord doesn't, you notice, he doesn't say it's all going to work out, Jacob. He actually doesn't even tell him how it's going to play out. He just says, I'll be with you. This is about movement, and movement is a theme you see all throughout the Bible. God tells Abraham, it's time to move. I want you to go to a land that I'm going to show you. Leave everything you know. Well, can I at least have a map? Nope. Just go where I go. Go where I tell you to go. It's, it's, it's about movement, right? Jesus is walking along the side of the Sea of Galilee. He sees some brothers fishing. He looks at them and says, I want you guys to follow me. It's time to move. Let's go. Where are we going? Wherever I go. And what does it say? They left their nets and followed. It's a story about movement. One of the most famous stories Jesus ever told is the story of the prodigal son. A son, kid, demands his inheritance, blows it on wild living, ends up starving in rags. And one day he comes to his senses. I'm going to go home. We go back to dad. I'm going to apologize. Maybe he'll let me be a servant. And what does he do? He gets up and he moves back towards home. It's a story of movement, but movement is scary. Jacob's move is geographical. He's moving from one place to another. But, but our moves, they could just as easily be a move in actions or attitude or behavior. Like you still live in the same house, have the same job, but God is still calling you to move. So maybe before we move on the story, I just want to create a little space here. I wonder if anybody here watching online is hearing God whisper to them right now, time for a move. What attitude? What behavior? What action that's been a part of your past doesn't need to be a part of your future? It's time to move. So a couple examples. You were hurt. Your spouse hurts you. Your father-in-law hurts you. Your brother, your sister, your son, your daughter. They hurt you. Okay. Hurt. Grieve. Mourn. And then listen for God to say, it's time to move on. Some of you are, are embedded in, in friendships that you're not helping them move forward, they're not helping you move forward. You're just in this downward spiral of death. Maybe God is whispering to you today, it's, it's time to move. It's time to begin exploring new friendships that, that lift you and you lift them. Right now, where you sit, it's possible. 
That's God's whispering to you. It's time for a move. Is there an attitude? Is there an action? Is there a behavior that has been a part of your past that shouldn't be a part of your future? Jacob, he's been living up north, his uncle for 20 years, and God says, time for a move. It's time to move. 20 years earlier, Jacob arrived there with nothing more than a walking stick. Now he's going back with wives, children, servants, flocks. He's not simply moving from where he was. He's moving towards a twin brother that wanted to kill him 20 years ago. 20 years is a long time for a temper to dissipate. But in family, it probably needed about 40. Right? And, and Jacob knows this. So Jacob puts his toes in the water to see what the temperature's like. So look at this. Chapter 32. Verse 3, Jacob sent messengers ahead of him to his brother Esau in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. He instructed them, this is what you're to say to my Lord Esau. Your servant Jacob says, I have been staying with Laban and have remained there till now. I have cattle and donkeys, sheep and goats, male and female servants. And now I'm sending this message to my Lord that I may find favor in your eyes. It is really saying, hey, bro. Remember that blessing I stole from you 20 years ago? Pay a little bit back. Can I, can I, can, I'm not looking for anything from you. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not looking for a handout. I have plenty. God has blessed me. He's, he's checking the relational temperature. The messengers take off. They come back with this report. When the messengers returned to Jacob, they said, we went to your brother Esau, and now he is coming to meet you, and 400 men are with him. Welcome home party, maybe? Right? Not four, not 14, not 40. 400 of Esau's closest hunting buddies are moving towards his family. And Jacob thinks exactly what everybody in this room is thinking. He's coming to kill us. And so Jacob does what Jacob does. Remember, Jacob is heel grabber. Jacob is deceiver. He's manipulator. He's conniver. So he, he separates his family, his herds, his flocks into different groups. He's thinking, okay, if Esau massacres the first group, maybe the second group can get away. Or maybe he lets the first group in and attacks the second group. Maybe the first group can get away. He's just thinking survival here. And anytime you're in one of those places, you do, I do, we do what Jacob does. He prays. He prays, and we don't have any record of him praying like this before, which is interesting. But look at this. Then Jacob prayed, O God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac. Do you notice anything there? Still grandpa's God. You who said to me, go back to your country and your relatives, and I will make you prosper. You told me to do this. I just want to remind you, grandpa's God, you got me into this. I am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you have shown your servant. I had only my staff when I crossed this Jordan, but now I have become two camps. When I came this way 20 years ago, I had nothing. I'm returning with so much stuff. I can't separate. I, I can separate into multiple groups. So at least he's starting to make some God noises. At least he's recognizing who's blessed him. He goes on, save me, I pray. From the hand of my brother Esau, for I am afraid he will come and attack me and also the mothers with their children. 
but you have said, then he reminds God of something that God told him 20 years ago. But you have said, I will surely make you prosper and will make your descendants like the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted. What's going on here? Why is he praying? Why is Jacob praying? He's praying for the same reason that you and I pray. Jacob is experiencing something he can't connive or manipulate or plot his way out of. Heel grabber can't solve this one. He didn't have mama to help him with this one. And he goes, God, I don't think I have anything but you. I'm not sure what I I really believe in you. I'm not really sure you're my God, but help. Quick question. What do you rely on in moments when you feel like you're about to break? Where do you go? I mean, if we took a poll, some of us would go, well, Tim, I'm smart. I'm really smart. I, I can think my way out of situations. Others of you would go, well, I got, I'm pretty gifted personality-wise, so I can kind of schmooze my way out of it. Others of you, you know, money can't buy every problem. Money can't solve every problem, but it can solve a lot of them. Others might say, well, I power up. I control. I manipulate. I dominate. I boss my way through most anything. And then the day comes, or it will, when you can't think, schmooze, buy, or power your way out of something. And then you're faced with a couple options. You can lean into that even more and know, realize it doesn't work. You can fight, you can kick, you can scream, which we all do at one point or another. Or you can lift your eyes to the hills from where your help comes from. You can realize, (sighs) I can't do anything about this. All I've got in this moment is God. And newsflash, you always need him. He's always available. We're just painfully aware of it in these moments. It's where Jacob is. And, And you would think that he would just put all of that in God's hands and, you know, be at peace. But if you think that, you'd be wrong. Because Jacob is heel grabber. He's conniver. He's manipulator. He's plotting. He goes, okay, God, I'm trusting you, but let me help you out just a little bit. And before we respond to that, just let he who is without anxious control freak tendencies cast the first stone. He gets 220 sheep. He sends them to Esau and his 400 men. They go, what is this? These are your, your servant Jacobs, and they're a gift to you. Behind the 220 sheep are 220 goats. Behind the 220 goats are 50 cattle. Behind the 50 cattle are 30 camels. Behind the 30 camels are 30 donkeys. 550 animals sent in waves. Your servant Jacob sent these as a gift to you. What's he doing? He's assuaging Esau. God, I, I know I ripped you off 20 years ago. God has blessed me. I just want to make things right between us. So is he trusting God or is he conniving? Yes. Yes. He's, he's doing both. I love this story because it's so human. This is what we do. God, I trust you. I believe you. I've prayed this over and over and over, but I'm going to do this thing over here to help you out a little bit. I'm going to trust, but I'm going to plot. I'm going to trust, but I'm going to connive, right? 
So night falls. He sends his wives, he sends his kids, all the rest of his flocks across the Jabuk River. He's about to cross the river when an unidentified person stands in his way and keeps him from crossing the river. Now, if you think bits and pieces of this story are already strange, industrial strength, strangeness is about to take place. Okay? This is what we read. So Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. Okay, if you've never read this story before, you're going, what in the world? His, 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 his murderous homicidal brothers waiting to kill his entire family, and a guy shows up to do a little MMA? Like, what is that? Well, later on in the story, Jacob will say, I saw God face to face and survived it. But in the moment, he has no idea what's going on. Jacob is wrestling with God in human form. But this isn't the first time I think Jacob has wrestled with God. I think Jacob wrestled with God about 20 years ago on the way to Uncle Laban's. I think Jacob wrestled with God whenever he got tricked into marrying Leah instead of Rachel. I think Jacob wrestled with God whenever he was on his way to meet his brother. Are you sure this is what I'm supposed to do? And I got to be honest, I want so much more information than we're given because I have so many questions. But the author simply isn't interested in telling me what I want to know. Okay? Jacob is alone. He wrestles with this man till daybreak. And Jacob, he doesn't tap out. He doesn't give up. Look at verse 25. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Again, Jacob won't give up. This man reaches out, touches his hip as if to say, I am fully capable of completely destroying you right now, bro. But I'm just going to put your hip out of socket. And Jacob's like the black knight from Monty Python. It's only a flesh wound. (laughs) Come back and fight like a man, right? He's not done. He won't concede. Then the man said, let me go for it's daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. We read past this next part so quickly, but pay attention. The man asked him, what is your name? Do you think God knew his name? Why does he say, what's your name? Say it. Who are you? Say it. I'm heel grabber. I'm deceiver. I'm manipulator. I'm conniver. I have been since I was born. Say your name. See, some some of you, this is the only reason you came today. This is all you need to go away with. Sometimes we need to admit the reality of who we are before God changes that in us. Sometimes we just got to say it. This is who I am. This is who I have been, but I don't want to be that anymore. He says it. What's your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, not anymore. Your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. The name Israel means something like wrestles with God or struggles with God. Jacob is no longer heel grabber. He's no longer deceiver. He is now wrestles 
with God. And this isn't simply a new name for Jacob. But again, names back then meant so much more than they do today. It's not a new identity. It's not necessarily just a new identity. It's a new identity he's to grow into. Because we, we call the children of Israel, the tribes of Israel, who's Israel? Jacob. Jacob is the father of the children or the tribes of Israel. And this, God doesn't do this overnight. God changes his name in a moment, but God changes his name and then he grows into, the trajectory of his life changes. And notice where it happens. It happens in a moment where Jacob is about to break. And I wonder sometimes if God still does that. And so I ask you, what's your name? Not your given name, what's your name? Um, I'm, I, I'm perfectionist. How's that working for you? Well, it, it, it seems to demoralize people around me and keeps me perpetually dissatisfied. What if God wants to change your name? Call you to a different trajectory and character? Well, what would my new name be, Tim? I don't know. Flawed but growing? I don't know. What's your name? My name's Addicted. What if that describes your past, but it's not supposed to describe your future? What's your name? My name is Enraged Bitterness. What if God wanted to change your name to Gracious? What's your name? My name is Self-Focus. <laughs> what if you wanted it to change it to self-giving. And hear me, that transformation probably won't happen overnight. It didn't for Jacob. But God often uses moments of crisis and brokenness and where we feel like we're about to break to rename us, to give us a new trajectory. And years later, when we're way down the road, we look back and we go, huh, I remember that one day, that one moment, that one season back in May of 2023 where I couldn't think, schmooze, buy, or boss my way out of it. And God changed my trajectory. It was almost like he changed my identity. Let's land the plane. This man, God in human form, disappears. Israel limps forward, blessed by God, which is often how God blesses us with a limp. I wonder if he looks to the horizon and sees this cloud kicked up of the army of 400 men coming his way. So, so again, he trusts God, but he kind of still wants to grab a hold of it. He gets out in front of his family and his flocks, and he just starts bowing down over and over and over again towards Esau and the army coming towards him. And I'm leaving out a lot but just skip forward to verse four of, of chapter 33. Here's what we read. But Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him. He threw his arms around his neck and kissed him. And they wept. That army of 400 men was a welcome home party. And, and, and reading words on a page, it just it cannot convey the emotion in that moment. Right? I mean, he starts introducing his kids to their uncle, his twin. He, he introduces his wives to their brother-in-law. And Esau interrupts him. He's like, what was with the zoo you sent me earlier? What was that about? I've already got enough stuff. Look at Jacob's explanation. No, please, said Jacob. 
If I have found favor in your eyes, accept this gift from me. For to see your face is like seeing the face of God. This is coming from a man who saw the face of God. This is, this is like seeing the face of God now that you have received me favorably. Isn't there something about reconciliation with a family member where God shows up in a unique way? It's like God shows up. This is, this is giving us a little bit of a foreshadowing of the reconciliation that God will bring about in the New Testament through Jesus. There's something about that where, where, where God shows up and reconciliation is needed. And, and if you're anything like me, <clears throat> it's easy to stop right there. But there's, there's also something in me that, okay, good story. I'm glad it ended well. I'm glad they're reconciled. But there's just, there's this little thing that's bugging me because Jacob is still referring to God as the God of his grandpa. He's still the, the God of his dad. Well, well Esau, Esau goes away. Jacob goes another way. And, and Jacob ends up in a place called Shechem. This is really important. Because two generations earlier, when Abraham came into the land of promise, one of the places he went to build an altar to God was a place called Shechem. Jacob comes home. He goes to Shechem and he builds an altar there. And then there's, there's one verse. We get one verse. It's almost throwaway. It's almost like, why is this even in here? We get one verse. There he, talking about Jacob, set up an altar and called it El Elohi Israel. El Elohi Israel means God, the God of Israel. This is the monument. This is the stone. This is the place where God went from the God of Abraham and Isaac, full stop, to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And about 5,000 years later, <laughs> we still talk about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I think for some of you, you need to read that as, God isn't just simply interested in being my grandpa's God. He's not simply interested in being my mom or dad's God. He wants, as Mark said earlier, he wants a relationship with me. I, he doesn't just want to be our church's God, our youth group's God, or the pastor's God, your grandma's God. He wants to be your God, your rescuer, your savior, your identity. He wants to be your God. So if you've been listening, just like he spoke to Jacob before Jacob called him his God, He's been speaking to you. The, the, the space where some of you want most to get away from can be the space where you see him, know him, and trust him in ways you've never seen, known, or trusted him before. Let him meet you there. Let him rename you there. Let, let him bless you there even if you walk away with a limp. And let him transform you there. Because God does some of his best work in those seasons, those places, those environments. And, and yes, most of the time it's in a family that we most want to get out of. We most want to pray away. Let him transform you.
into the person he created you to be. And then next week, we get to see some of the results of what that looks like in this family. So let me pray for you. Father in heaven, thank you for this powerful human story, this powerful divine story that, that moves through the centuries and crashes right into our own lives. God, would you, would you meet us today? Would you name us? Would you bless us? Would you transform us? In the name of Jesus, who came for us, we pray. Amen. Have a wonderful week. You're dismissed.